This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cyber Traps Podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast, Transformative Principal, and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant, temporarily based this week in Bedford, Massachusetts. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Hey there, Jethro. Hello. Happy Monday. I hope so. I am encouraging everyone to have a happy Monday. We'll see how it works out. So it's good to chat again. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for today's topic. I am too. Uh, we are going to do a little callback to Art Link Letters, Kids Say the Darndest Things. And we're going to talk about kids buying the darndest things, which is a horribly frustrating experience for a parent to go through, uh, especially because there's not much you can do about it often, which totally stinks. <laughs> yeah, this is this is one of the places where technology and parenting and kids all slam together and it it can have very expensive implications for parents so what we're hoping to do today is to kind of remind people of the potential problem that they might run into help them understand the legal issues and then 
hopefully offer some good advice on minimizing the chances of winding up in the headlines as all of these other parents have done. Yeah. Uh, people often want their 15 minutes of fame. And this is, I think, a very frustrating way to get your 15 minutes of fame that you let your kids <laughs> spend a ton of money on something that you probably didn't need. Exactly. Well, why don't you launch us into this, Jethro, and, and give us our hook for the day? Well, I will start with a nice little story about um, me seeing a charge on my Amazon bill for a movie, two separate movies, actually. One was a streaming movie, which, by the way, you can't return. So just in case you were wondering, <laughs> if anybody out there was wondering, can you return digital purchased items? Not usually. Certainly not in this case. And the other one was a, a DVD that showed up to our house that was not a movie that I would buy. They were kids' movies. And it turns out that my, I think she was six or seven at the time, a daughter with Down syndrome, uh, was on the um, Apple TV, or actually it was Roku at the time, Amazon app, and bought a movie to watch while she was just sitting there watching some TV. And, you know, we were... Uh, we were at the stage in life where uh, Saturday morning was tough to get up. And so we would sleep in and let the kids go watch movies on the Roku. And we have, you know, a, a place for kids to watch movies safely called Plex that where we, you know, rip our home movie, our movies and then put them on this server so that we can watch them without getting the DVDs out. And uh, so that's what we thought she was doing. But turns out she was on Amazon and was finding other movies to watch. The other one was she was uh, somehow had gotten onto one of our phones and found Amazon, the app, and bought a movie and had it shipped right to our house. We have no idea to this day how that even happened. We can't think of when she did it or how she did it, but somehow she made it work, and uh, it was a, an amazing feat of uh, childhood curiosity that got her exactly what she wanted that we have we have no idea how that DVD ever got ordered. That's that's actually really hysterical. Well, of course, you know, for those of you just listening to the podcast, you you may realize that I'm old enough that my Saturday mornings were also cartoon based. <laughs> but if I saw something that I wanted, I actually had to pester my parents because it was just in a one way advertisement. Yes. Oh, no man. interactivity whatsoever. And you learn pretty quickly that there are limits to how much pestering your parents will take. It's an entirely different world if your kid is sitting there and there's interactive ordering services built in to whatever yeah. they're watching. And you know that's, that's a good chunk of what we're talking about today is that so many of the things now that kids interact with are specifically set up and designed to not only allow purchases, but to really encourage them. And so we've got that piece, right? And to make them seamless. So right. it's just as right. easy as saying, hey, I want a new dollhouse. Let's get one. Right. Seamless. Wait a minute. There's an app called. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the other piece of it, too, and I think we need to be clear about this. And, and I hate to put parents on the spot because we know how swamped everybody is these days. But some of these things are, uh, shall we say, carelessness or a little bit of thoughtlessness on the part of parents where they're not necessarily thinking through what could happen. And that was actually the reason that I flagged this um, in part for our show today was that there was a great story from about uh, 
what was it, a week ago, just a week ago, of a toddler in New Jersey whose mom had gone on to the Walmart website and done some shopping and put a bunch of stuff in her shopping cart. We've all done that, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get a phone call or you, you just you, you want to think about it and you leave the stuff in the cart. And her 22-month-old son got a hold of her phone and goes to the shopping cart and just boom, 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 starts clicking purchase. And they didn't know about any of it until package after package started showing up. So in their case, they're relatively lucky, right? These are not streaming videos. So they had made up arrangements or they made arrangements to return most of the stuff to a local Walmart, which is good for them. Yeah. And they're going to keep a couple of things because it's a funny story and they'll kind of you know harass their child as he gets yeah, older. Naturally. <laughs> But, you know, I think that it's a great illustration of not only how seamless everything is, Jethro, but how easily kids can either figure out or even accidentally do something that you're not anticipating. Yeah. Well, and it also moves into practical joke areas also, where if you have an, uh, an Amazon device, people can walk in and order stuff on that who are not you because it doesn't verify with your voice. So you can walk in and I've heard stories. I personally have not done this because I would not do this, (laughs) but I've heard stories of people ordering uh, inappropriate things for the people whose house they are visiting. And they just say, Amazon order this thing. And then Amazon confirms the purchase right there. And there's not much that you can do because it's designed to be that easy, right? And so the way we dealt with that with my daughter on the Amazon app was we just installed a passcode for everything that needed to be purchased. So it is, it's a simple passcode, but it's enough that she doesn't know it. So she exits out and that's really, that piece there was enough to stop it. Now, my other kids um, could probably figure out the password because it's, it's not difficult, but that is an indicator that they need permission before doing mm-hmm. that. So any sure. anything rated, rated PG-13 or above, or any purchases, you have to put in um, the passcode, and that's just that's the safety feature we've put in place that works because now we don't have to worry about that going forward. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever asked you this directly, but do you have a smart speaker? Do you guys use that at all? We do. We had an Amazon Alexa for a while, but because of yeah. those things... There wasn't a way for me to easily stop it. And Amazon, for example, had uh, had too much freedom for the kids to look up things. And I could go see the history of what my kids were looking for. And I decided that it wasn't worthwhile for that. So we have Apple HomePod minis in my office and my wife's office. Um, but that is that's all that we have on that. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm very fascinated by it and think that they're really great. But at the same time, I'm I'm a little bit nervous about how how much power they have, and you know. Oh, just just wait. We will be talking about those devices yeah. a lot in in the months to come. But no, I and just speaking personally, and, and my wife and I debate this all the time. But we have a Amazon Alexa in the kitchen, which uh-huh. I use actually a fair amount for cooking. Yeah. You know, so I'll do like recipe conversions and. Back when I could stand listening to the news, I'd listen yeah. to the news. <laughs> um, but but there is, I'm, I'm curious, I think that they've started 
to or they've implemented the passcode for Alexa now for orders. They probably have at this point. Yeah, because it was just too simple. And um, as we've been doing for the last three or four months in the show notes for this particular episode, there are a bunch of different cautionary tales. And before we dive into the practical piece of this, um, I did want to let people know of my absolute favorite story from the yes. research that I did. So this is from three or four years ago, I think, before Amazon had implemented any safety measures. But a girl in, I think, Arizona ordered a dollhouse and a bunch of other Barbie-related stuff. And it showed up in a big stack of boxes out on the street. And her parents thought it was pretty funny. And it, it, somehow the word spread on social media. And one of the local television stations came over to interview her and they asked her what she said. And so she repeated the command she had given to Alexa, which then caused all of these Alexas around Phoenix to order the same dollhouse. <laughs> I mean, it was brilliant marketing from Amazon's yeah. perspective. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, the, the, the very much embarrassed news station claims that none of the orders were actually fulfilled but just the idea of all of these alexas trying to do that it's pretty amusing so there's a lot of really kind of funny ways that this stuff can play out but for a lot of parents it ends up not being funny because right. it can be a huge chunk of money even if you get the money back and we'll talk about how people can do that there's still going to be a financial disruption if your kid has spent $3,000 on in-app purchases or something mm -hmm. like that. And then you've got to go to Roblox. You've got to go to Fortnite. You've got to go to iTunes and try to get that money back. Yeah. And, and that all is not easy at all. And it's very challenging to get a hold of anybody at those companies. It's very challenging to get those charges reversed. And uh, it is, it's just a major pain. And, and the, the really frustrating part is these games that are in, intriguing to kids that kids want to play and then they don't understand what it's asking for when it says, do you want to buy more this crate of diamonds or whatever the case may be? Because they don't understand what it really means and it's not clear. And oftentimes I've seen where the price is not even displayed before you get to the confirmation screen. And so you don't know how much you're spending on it until you actually get there at the point of confirming the transaction. Now, uh, Google and Apple have made for Android and iOS different uh, safeguards to ensure that, you know, kids, if they have a child account, which not everybody does, then they have to ask permission before they can buy things and parents have to approve it on their own device. So there are some safeguards set up. But if you didn't set up your kids as a child profile, which a lot of people don't, then you wouldn't have that in place. And if kids know their password to buy anything, then they know the password to buy everything. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. And the other thing to keep in mind is that if you've used a credit card or you've set up a credit card to automatically pay for things in Apple or Google, Android or what have you, and most of us have done that just for the convenience of it, then if your child is using that device, they're basically tapped into that financial ecosystem. Yep. And it becomes very simple for them to just go bing, bing, bing. And this comes back to something that you and I have both talked about uh, at some length, which is the way in which these games are designed to provide gratification to kids for achieving certain things, a lot of which are built around 
the material possessions or in some ways the immaterial possessions within the games so that you're constantly looking to upgrade in terms of the resources you have the weapons the armor you know and so on and so forth and this is how many of these companies make money so the, the the affirmation within the game is not in any kind of achievement per se but it's in the bling that you've collected or paid for as part of playing the game. Yeah. And and this is a really key piece about understanding how games work. And if we're letting our kids play games on devices, then helping them understand what those mechanics are and how they work. And so my son recently said that he only wants to play games on Apple Arcade, uh, which is Apple's um, game subscription service that costs like five bucks a month. And he said that he only wants to play in there because there's no ads on those games and he hates Mm. getting interrupted by the ads. I also have instilled a great feeling of disgust every time an ad pops up um, by my own behavior and (laughs) saying, this is so annoying. I don't like this. So I'm, I'm very willing often to pay to have ads removed from the games that I and my kids play um, because they are a distraction. They, they're just advertisements and they're just trying to get you to buy more stuff. And, and I'm trying to teach my kids to be more conscious about that. And so we have lots of discussions about that and about how, how the game works and whether or not you should try to buy more things. And I've really discouraged my kids from playing any of those games where you do need to pay to win type of situations. Mm -hmm. And then the other aspect of this that I'll just say briefly is games when you and I were kids, um, were about that's generous. Yes. (laughs) You're welcome. We're about being able to win the game and games are designed now so that there is no win. There is no, um, there is no end point to the game. The game goes on essentially forever. And, and that is a change in the design mechanics of games that, uh, that impacts what the point of the game is. And the point of the game is to build up your character or your characters mm-hmm. and make them more powerful so that you can win individual contests. But the end goal is never achieved. And it's an endless game that you can play essentially forever and never run out of an opportunity. And, and that changes how they're set up so that kids want to buy the in-app purchase stuff. I and adults too. really... That's a really insightful point, Jethro, because it, it underscores that it's almost a more narcissistic approach to gameplay, right. right? It's how good do I look? How powerful am I? You know, as opposed to have I achieved some identified goal? Now, to be fair, you know, my father used to be a fan of these military strategy games from Avalon Hill. Um, just give a quick shout out yeah. to old school here. and. <laughs> You know, my, from my mother's perspective, they, they went on forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> she had definite thoughts about the whole thing. But there is, a, there is a demonstrable difference between something like that, you know, which may take you know, hours upon hours because of the intricacy of the gameplay, as opposed to something like Fortnite or World of Warcraft or something like that, where there's a conscious decision, as you say, to build an infinite world and, and just let people explore endlessly 
And yeah, from a from a financial game design point of view, that makes, if you will, a world of sense. But it's not necessarily in the best interests of our children. It's not in the best interests of parents who get stuck with these bills. And you know, I think we might segue here just to kind of um, give folks some practical advice into the legal issues. You know, because one of the questions that obviously comes up for parents is, well, if my kid accidentally bought this stuff and is not an authorized user of my credit card and is too young to understand what they're doing, honestly, am I responsible for paying that money? Yeah, and I think that's a a very valid, worthwhile question to ask because they wouldn't be allowed to go buy a car, for example, using the same systems right. or just walking into a car dealership yeah. right? <laughs> you know they they wouldn't be allowed to uh to go buy stuff at the store if they right. were not or they shouldn't be although i'm sure that you know they just slide the card in and, it, and it's no big deal but the those things you know should be there should be a system in place for evaluating whether or not the kid actually has authorization to do that and and it is in the company's financial interest to not worry about that. So they really have no incentive to ensure that happens unless they get sued and then have to pay out a ton of money and then they'll change their tune pretty quickly. Right. Well, and I, I, I think you're putting your finger on a, the, let's start with the bad news for parents, which is that as a matter of law, they are legally responsible for the charges that their children make. Now, that being said, there are circumstances in which that can be challenged. So for instance, if you could show, as happened in 2014, if you can show the Federal Trade Commission that the company was acting fraudulently, it was unfairly inducing children, um, it was instituting gameplay that encouraged kids to do this, then you might get some action. As a matter of fact, Apple and uh, Google, and I forget who the, th- Amazon, well, of course, Amazon uh, <laughs> uh, were forced to pay fairly hefty sums of money in the millions of dollars to people back in 2014, because the FTC concluded that their in-game practices were deceptive and unfair. But that's not always going to work. A couple of other things you can explore as a parent is that if you've got a credit card, which relieves you of responsibility for unauthorized purchases, you can try to get them to refund the money. But the problem is that some credit card companies will say to you, well, we only give those kinds of refunds if your card was stolen or lost. So if it's in your kid's grubby little hands, or if you've put it on auto pay on your phone, that's not our problem. That's that's the choice you made in terms of how you set up your digital world. And yeah. so you're out of luck. Well, and that that comes to the things that you can do to prevent it, which is maybe not have your credit card in there so that you have to re-enter it every time. Um, that is definitely a pain, but it's if if you're having problems with this, then it's definitely worth the pain to do that. Um and yes. I so the other piece is supervising your kids and knowing what they're doing and how they're spending their time and then talking to them about it. And, and this is an area where 
I do think we've done a really good job in our family of doing that, of making sure mm-hmm. kids know what is worthwhile to spend money and what is not worthwhile to spend money on, according to our family beliefs. And so right. other parents have different ideas about that and have no problem with the in-app purchases or downloadable content for video game consoles. But for us, we don't feel like that is something that is uh, worthwhile unless we have a real uh, a situation where that does make sense. And and then it's important to talk about why that does and does not make sense with your kids so they understand your reasoning behind making those choices. I, that's, that's a good point. One of the articles that I read during my research for the show is suggesting that it's worthwhile to begin having conversations with kids about what credit means and what the role of credit is uh, as early as three years old, you know, particularly if the kid is going to be using a phone where that is the method of payment, helping them to understand what the implications of that are. Uh, That's obviously going to come down again to whether or not you're having those conversations with your children in general, um, what your sense of the appropriate age is. But, you know, I think that the more kids understand about how all of this works, the better off you are. And honestly, Jethro, I think the conversations about values in terms of purchases is particularly useful. So, you know, one of the things that it can be very useful to do is to take, you know, let's say somebody wants to spend $10 on a sword in, you know, Fortnite or something like that. And, you know, putting a $10 bill on the table and an equivalent amount of groceries beside it. And then say, do you want an imaginary sword or do you want dinner? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and obviously I don't mean to be too reductive because we do things for fun. You know, you're streaming videos of the movies we rent or what have you. Those are virtual things, right? They provide entertainment. There's no substance, but, but there's still some useful lessons that can be provided in terms of the choices we make on how money gets spent. Yeah. So it sounds like a great example. Yeah. And, and really talking about it as descriptive as you talked about with the $10 bill and the groceries, like that's what we, we don't necessarily have to decide between those two, but you have to understand what the value represents, Mm, you know, and we, we talked better way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. My wife yesterday talked with our kids about the difference between a clean, crisp $20 bill and a dirty, grubby, wrinkled $20 bill. And the difference in their value is nothing at all. And she was talking about this to help our kids understand that they should value themselves regardless of whatever is going on in their life or whatever challenges they have or weaknesses they have. And it was a really great illustration. But we, as, as she was talking, I was thinking, well, what does $20 even mean? Like, what can you what can you get with $20? And do my kids understand that? And are they able to to make that distinction and say, this is what it's worth to me. And could they apply that to a game that they really want to do? So for example, in Minecraft, there are uh, additional worlds that you can buy. And occasionally we buy those, but we don't buy every one that our kids ask for because we Mm -hmm. want them to have a real purpose for it. And things Mm -hmm. like telling them you need to justify why this is important to buy to me before I will buy it. And if they just say we want it because of this, that, or whatever, then just because I want it, then that's not a good enough answer. So when we were, wait, 
you you were never a kid. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I was, and I had to learn these lessons the hard way because I had to go work for that money as opposed to, uh, right. and then yeah. I got something physical in oh. return. <clears throat> Please don't get the guy who's throw get off my lawn old to start yeah. talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so my kids wanted Netflix one year, and they had to write a proposal for why they should have Netflix. And it really yeah. focused around all the educational content that they could get on Netflix, which is the right way to approach that problem. But then in practice, were they actually right. watching the educational content or were they watching the just the entertainment content? Well, of course, they were just watching the entertainment content. So we talked about a couple times and said, hey, you need to be watching the educational content. Right. And then... Um, they said, okay, we'll watch the educational content. So they would work on doing that a little bit more. And then they didn't. And so then we just canceled Netflix because it wasn't providing the value that they had originally said they wanted for it. And so okay. now they don't use that excuse because they know they're not going to do it. And they still want Netflix, but we just haven't gotten it again because there's not something there compelling that we want to watch yet. And, you know, that's just having those conversations takes time, but it's so important for your kids to be able to articulate and understand what they're trying to get out of it. Mm. Well, that's, that's useful because the more of those conversations you have, the less likely it is you're going to wind up in the situation that a lot of these folks wound up in, yes. you know, in terms of the kids not understanding how the apps work, not understanding the implications of what they're doing. So, couple of quick points in terms of recovery or restitution. We've touched a little bit on this already. Um, if you discover that your charming little child has done one of these unauthorized purchases, you know, obviously the first thing you can try and do if it's a physical object is you can try to cancel the order, see if it, you can literally stop the thing from arriving. Um, but if, as in the, your opening anecdote, Jethro, you've got something that was delivered virtually, then you're left trying to get some kind of refund you know, mm -hmm. from either the app itself, from the online service provider, uh, from the overarching iOS eco lord, whether it's Apple or you know, Google Android. Um, then your credit card. If you believe that there was actual fraud or deception involved, you can report it to the Federal Trade Commission. And then there's one last suggestion that we can throw out that popped up in one of the cases in our show notes of a woman whose son ordered $2,600 of SpongeBob SquarePants popsicles, oh, which man. I don't even know where she was going to store all of those popsicles, <laughs> but she, she went on to GoFundMe and she, she funded a GoFund, a GoFund, she, she, she created this GoFundMe to help defray the cost of the popsicles. And I guess that she wrote it so well and so compellingly that people paid $26,000 to the GoFundMe. Oh my so gosh. I'm not suggesting that anybody should use this as a fundraising or a money-making opportunity, but sometimes <laughs> but clearly things work out. <laughs> yeah, there's an example of someone who did. Man. So, you know, you read these stories and you're kicking yourself like, wow, I didn't think of that. Why okay. did I do that? Exactly. So why don't we, what can we do, Jethro, to try and keep this from happening? Yeah, well, I already went down the path of prevention and through education. So that, I think, is something we've already talked about a bit. Um, 
the other thing is um, talking about boundaries and making sure your kids mm-hmm. know what they are and are not allowed to do. Um, there is a, uh, a strategy that we've used many times before giving our device to one of our children, especially when they're young, is to turn on what's called guided access, which means that you basically are stuck in one app and you can't do anything besides that app until you enter in the passcode to exit it. And that is something that was really helpful in schools when the, um, the especially the iOS devices first came out from Apple, uh, because I did use those in schools the first year they were released and they were great, but kids would want to do all kinds of other stuff and the parental controls were not there yet. So this was an accessibility feature that I enabled on the device so that they couldn't, they couldn't do anything besides what I wanted them to. And being able to set up things like that is beneficial, but then also um, make sure that you have, that you don't have the, um, the options to pay without confirmation, um, which is, you know, different for each device, but definitely, do the work to make sure that that is in place. And uh, then if I, I yeah, just interrupt ahead. you for one second, because um, as you were describing that, I was taking a look in the iPhone settings and yeah, they've still got the guided access and all you have to do is turn it on. It's in accessibility, as you said, and then triple click the side button yeah. and you're done. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome because you can lock the orientation. You can lock the, um, you can lock whether or not they can even shut it down so that they can't do any of that. And, um, and it, those kinds of things, uh, Apple's accessibility features, for example, are great for so many other things besides having a disability. And so definitely take advantage of those and see what you can do with them. And there's a lot of neat stuff, um, neat stuff out there. Um, so then the other thing is uh, putting financial restrictions in place not having credit cards stored on your child's device or things like that. Um, and making sure that if they are authorized to use it, see if you can set a limit so they can't, you know, the biggest hit you can take is $50 or something because that's a lot less than (laughs) $2,600. And and you talked (laughs) about the, the (laughs) yeah, you talked about the financial disruption and I read somewhere recently that most Americans do not have, enough money for $600 for a $600 emergency. So yeah. if you, yeah. if you get charged $2,600 in popsicles, um, you need to do something because most people don't have that. And, you know, I think that's the other part of this is have financial plans in place so that you do have, um, money that, uh, money saved. I mean, that's just a wise thing to do no matter what no matter, not relating to any of this, but just something smart to do. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, one of the suggestions in the financial realm that I thought was interesting was that it's, it's really easy these days to get either a debit card or one of those top off cards. Um, You know, at got any pharmacy in the country has multiple options for doing this. And if you put X amount of money, say 50 or a hundred bucks on those cards, and link that card to whatever your child is doing in their device. That, that really limits your potential financial exposure. And you also get the added benefit of being notified when the money's yeah. gone because the kid's going to come and say, hey, my game's not working. What do I do? 
And that's when you have a great opportunity for a conversation about how all of this works. Yeah. And the other thing is just um, make sure that you check what subscriptions you have on your device, what purchases have been there. Monitor these things so that you're not getting surprised by them. And that just reminded me that I have a, I did a free trial for something yesterday and I hadn't, or the other day and I hadn't turned it off and it was going to start charging me tomorrow. So that reminded me, that's why I said that. So I just turned it off so that I want to get charged. <laughs> because... Well, there are two good reasons for doing that. At least two good reasons. One of which is that in addition to purchasing all of these things, it can be uh, scarily easy for your kid to sign up for subscriptions for yes. different things. So you need to um, hopefully monitor what's going on. But then also uh, another related piece, which we started to do more and more is whenever those kinds of offers pop in to not complete the offer until you put it in the calendar that it's going to start charging. And that way, you know, Google, you can have Google remind you as many times as yeah. you can stand, yeah. you know, to turn it off or whatever. So yeah. that can be really useful as well. Yeah. And there are tools that will keep track of the subscriptions that you have. Um, and if you are struggling with that, I definitely suggest checking that out because that would be beneficial also if it's, I mean, it's easy to forget about them and I'm someone who pays attention mm -hmm. to my money, but even for me, it's easy to forget about. Well, sure. And, and there are a couple of different apps, at least it's probably multitudes, but there are a couple that I'm aware of that will actually go through your, both your email and your bank accounts or one or the other and analyze for those kinds of recurring charges that you might have forgotten about. And particularly when it's like a buck 99 or something like that going through your Apple account, you might not pay attention to that, but this will put it right in front of you and make sure that you're aware of what's going on. Yeah, for sure. And then I think the other thing is make sure that your devices are locked, that they have passcodes, that they're not open for anyone to use them whenever they want. Um, make sure the passwords you're using are advanced enough that kids aren't going to memorize them easily if you're giving it to them. Um, for my kids, they have to come to me to enter the password all the time. And I totally don't mind doing that because I get to talk about what it is that they're downloading, what they're interested in. and <laughs> Which they must love every single time. <laughs> they, they do. Um, but, you know, my kids also know now that they need to ask permission. Sure. Unless right. it's something on Apple Arcade, which I have said... Anything on there, because I know there's not going to be any in-app purchases or not, not going to be advertising. I know that I can I can trust them to be able to download something from there and and have it be a, a decent enough game that I, I'm not concerned about these other issues. Well, I think that the uh, passcode advice and sort of being aware of where your device is is particularly important for parents. I know that, you know, just as a practical matter, these devices can give you that five or 10 minutes you need to get the laundry on or get right. dinner started or what have you. So absolutely um, understandable that parents will allow their kids to use these at various times. I think the real issue though, is if you're not there to supervise, you want to minimize the chances of someone getting into it and doing something you don't want them to do. And although we've been directing this show at parents, as you know, Jethro, this is an issue that teachers really need to be aware of as well. And actually it calls to mind one of the cases I read about in Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0 of a teacher, I think it was in South Carolina, who had taken some 
you know, Valentine's Day photos, shall we say, for her husband. But she left her phone on her desk while she went out into the hallway. And one kid picked up the phone. And obviously, he shouldn't have done that. So he clearly acted inappropriately. But she left it unlocked on her desk. And, you know, he started flipping through the photos and redistributing them. So, you know, it's just good advice for everybody to be, you know, aware of who has access to their their device. And the passcode is there for a reason. Yeah. Um, my final comment here is, did you see after one of the NFL playoff games that a uh, a player was walking out and somebody held, was holding their phone down filming him and he grabbed the phone and walked with it into the locker room while it was still recording and then said, I don't know whose phone this is. And he stopped the recording and then I don't know what happened after that. But like somebody could easily come and grab your phone. And if you are, if you're not doing it smart, they could then have access to all of your stuff. If you're in, at an event like that, I mean, what would you do in that situation? I mean, well, that would be very frustrating. That's really, really bizarre. Um, I now have something to go look up, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> see <laughs> I'll see if I can find a link and send it to you. Well, we'll have to do, we'll have to do a Super Bowl edition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that sounds terrific. I would say, once again, that that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges, as we talked about today, of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions, topic, or guest suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service. We appreciate having you in our audience and look forward to having you join us for our next episode. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master's schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.